This week on Kettle of Fish, internet sensation Topher Brophy stops by to talk about man's best friend. Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Laughter Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debates, hate, or arguments allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. Alrighty, gulp gulp, my little fish heads. Welcome to Kettle of Fish. I am the seafaring captain of this podcasting vessel, Nick the Saucy One Catsaurus. And as always, I want to introduce our dependable North Star, who we use to guide us through this journey. My fabulous producer and life partner, D. Oh, that's so cute. So cute. I love yeah, it. I had to change the intro since we're not doing a political show anymore. I had to change that where to show after the show and the talk right. after the talk crap. Yeah, because we're we're just a standalone and that's way more fun. Way more fun. Yep. Yes, it is. And we've been doing podcasting all day, but I am super because I've talked to everybody that we had on today. I've talked to them before, but this is my first time talking to. Who do we have on, D? Take it away. Um, we have probably one of the few people on earth who loves their dog more than I love my dog. Uh, <laughs> Topher Brophy. Hi, Topher. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. Ann Rosenberg, who's actually right here next to me. Oh, hi, Rosenberg. I don't know. Do you, do you hear him in the background? Yes. I so hear cute. him. You know, that was the, our most prominent question when I put the um, little promo up for you. It's like, is Rosenberg going to be there? Everybody was asking me about Rosenberg. Oh, he's right here, and he's saying hello. I told him exactly oh. what I was going to be doing today and who I was going to be talking to. So he was very important that he let his voice heard and said hi to your audience. So that's why he's barking Aww. on you. I love it. So I could assume we are Rosenberg approved. You most certainly are Rosenberg approved. Now, I did some good research on what you guys are about, who you are, but I also like to leave some things that I don't know because it's more fun for me to improv as I go, as I get to know you. I am always, I don't know if you've heard anything that I've said before, but I don't hold anything back. It's all on the sleeves, and I'm just who I am, and I want to have fun. So I'm going to let you guys lead. If I go off on some tangents and you want to steer me back, do not be shy. Oh, yeah, we're, we're good for tangents. We're I'm real great good at um, directing traffic, so that is fine with me. All right, here's what I want to start with. I'm looking at your stuff. I'm moving away from the political realm. I used to do political writing. I wrote for a news site. Um, I used to have a political show every Sunday for two hours. Things got heated. I got beaten down. I got a little bit broken. I'm trying to recalibrate my soul and see. I was starting to see things through a very negative lens after four years of politics. So I'm trying to kind of pivot back to being a guy who could just show up at a party and have fun and not being weighed down by this crap. I love what you guys do. It is so much more than just Thank some gimmick. You. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is way more than some gimmick, like, of a guy and his dog dressing alike. Like, you guys are on a real mission. You have a mission statement. And I want to start off talking about that because I think now more than ever, this is important. You know, I love that that's the setup that you're giving me here because – we started to really go into hyperdrive after the election. And what's happening, not just in the U.S., but on the world stage, politically, 
is enough to make anybody feel disenchanted, disenfranchised, and the news cycle seems to be capitalizing on negativity. And it's what sells, and it's what makes people look at the internet and TV. And that's always going to be there no matter how you vote, no matter what you feel. And we just want to focus on spreading positivity, on spreading our message, which is multifaceted. So I'll get into it, and then I'll go into our background. All right, let us let us know because um, you guys are the perfect duo to kind of kick off this new campaign. And go ahead and tell us a little bit about the background, but also how do you keep that agenda going and how are you untouched or unscathed, I guess is a better word, from all the political toxicity out there? Because we're focusing on what's in our hearts. We're focusing on the connection that we have with each other and amplified to everyone around us. So the world can be crumbling and we are going to be entrenched no matter what on our mission, which is essentially to spread positivity, to spread open-mindedness, to spread tolerance, to spread understanding, to spread love. We are all people and animals we're all cut from the same cloth. We're all on this planet together. Everything else is secondary. And we're using our bonds, which is the bond between man and my animal son who's staring at me right now, to use as a metaphor for love. And it's love for everybody on this earth down to an insect because one of the things that it's on our mind at this very second is people can kill insects and they don't think twice about it. It's in their house. It's in their apartment. They step on them. They smash them. They do things to the insects. And why is an insect's life any less important than a mammal's life or an amphibian's life or a human's life? Can I flip that question real quick for you? Sure. How come when when you kind of open yourself up, when you kind of become vulnerable and you say what you just said, I can imagine a lot of people, one side of the coin in this country going, snowflake. Like, why why is there people who are so reflective and and lash out at anybody saying, hey, I'm here, I'm going to spread love, I'm going to spread a message of peace and unity. Why do you think you have a sector of this country that wants to lash out or laugh at that and not embrace it? It seems healthy to embrace it. I tell you, I can't speak for all the reasons that people have, and I'm not going to be consumed with them, because I think that's what increases divisiveness. So I'm going to stay above the fray, And if people feel that way, if they would like to use the term snowflake or any other derogatory term, I'm just going to spread more love to them through my words, through my actions, even just through my energy, and hope that one day they'll understand, one day they'll connect to them. Because to be adversarial to somebody who's negative only fuels the divide continuously. It creates even more of a rift. It gets us nowhere. I think one of the things is people might not like what I'm saying, what I'm doing. And I love that too, because they have a right to feel any way they want to feel 
and I respect how they feel without any judgments whatsoever. That's where we're coming from. That's where we're coming from. And let me start with, you know, my story, which is a very humble story. Yeah, please do, because it's fascinating to me. Sure, sure, sure. So, you know, I will start not going all the way back to when I I was a baby, you don't have the time, but let me start about three years ago. Now, three years ago, I was somebody who was not in touch with my emotions. I was somebody who wasn't connected to myself. I didn't understand myself. I had, which I think can be termed psychologically as a dysthymia, which is kind of a low-level depression. And it's one where you kind of can't really understand who you are and didn't have connections with myself or with other people around me. As a result, I was a bit numb and kind of gliding through my life to distract myself from not having these human connections and connections in general. I developed an addiction to competitive sports. Now it's not the kind of addiction people are used to. Usually it's a substance addiction of some sort that most people have. And obviously that's, you know, as serious as it can be, there's other types of addictions. I was playing competitive sports every waking second I could. I was competing in dressage and rugby and water polo and fencing and weight training in badminton. I was addicted to these things and I would compete. I would practice to the point where it was taking up all of my time. It was an obsession. It was very unhealthy, but I did not realize that at the time because I was so consumed with it. So it got to the point where my addiction caused a big health problem for me where I developed a herniated disc between my neck and my spine. Now, I don't know if either of you ever had a back problem, but I don't wish it upon anybody. It was well, so let brutal. me ask you this. I'm going to jump in because I've got to ask you sure, this real quick. Please. How were the people around you reacting? Was anybody saying, hey, Topher, I think you're taking this a little bit too far or this is unhealthy? Or because it's sports, people, like, nobody even considers that to be an addiction. Like, it's impossible. Like, nobody can process that you can have an unhealthy aversion towards something like sports because they see it as, hey, you're being athletic. That's kind of what it was. People accepted that I was into this to the point where it seemed – you know, I was in great shape and, you know, it gave the impression that I was social because I was doing these things that involved other people on a team and nobody really seemed to question it until I hurt myself. And my, my doctor, I, went to, I had to go to a neurologist after extensive testing. He said, you have a herniated disc in your, in your neck and your spine. If you don't stop everything immediately, you're going to have to have major surgery. And surgeries are risky. They're very risky. And, Sometimes you don't recover fully and a lot can go wrong in those surgeries. And I was in so much pain. So I stopped everything cold turkey, 100%. I was left with the largest void of time. And I took this time to reflect. And what my reflection was. But that's got to be jarring though, to go from that kind of energetic, fast paced lifestyle to basically being shut down. Right. It was brutal. And it, I went from a kind of a low level depression to being very deep and dark way rock bottom because I didn't have my security blanket. And during this time I read, Oh, I read so many books. I did was seeing a therapist at the time. I just had a lot of just soul searching and self reflection of my own with that time. 
And what I, what I realized is the reason why I, I didn't connect to myself and then connect to others and didn't feel uh, the empathy and connection to humanity is because I was a narcissist. And I diagnosed that with my, of myself. And when I did that, I then looked around me and I you know, thought that it was somewhat symptomatic of a lot of other things going on in, around me in my local community. Was that an society. aha moment? When you said I'm a narcissist, was it like, oh, I'm a narcissist, or was it over time you were like, maybe this this is starting to sound like my personality, or was it just an epiphany with that? It was an aha moment that I understood myself, and it made perfect sense. And then when I started to look around me, like I said, I, I don't want to have I'm not the kind of person who wants to make you know grant statements about anybody else. But it occurred to me that it wasn't just symptomatic of myself. It was symptomatic of larger things going around me. And going back to the political context, if one would analyze certain patterns of people in office, one could make assertions that, you know, these, this problem might be symptomatic of, you know, more than just myself without getting into any other components of it because that's not where I put my energy. And it was difficult to realize this term that applied to my behavior However, then once I understood it, it became the building block for me to understand how to get out of it. So it was humbling, it was painful, and it was one of the most important days of my life. And what I realized is I needed to care for something, somebody else that wasn't me. And that's when I decided I wanted to become a father to a puppy. And that's when Rosenberg, the dog, came into my life and you know as and that's so awesome too because i read where you you know it was kind of like i didn't rescue him he rescued me and i thought that was really profound exactly that's exactly what had happened so i put all my energy into this beautiful amazing vulnerable creature and by doing that i thought all only about his needs and by thinking about only about his needs, it was the bridge to think about much more than just his needs. He's still my main focus no matter what I do, him and, and my wife, which I'll get into later. I then focused on everybody else's needs around me. I mean, what I've fueled at that point with a connection to not just him, but every creature, every animal, every human, every need, I just am focused on helping people as much as I possibly can because it's what's giving me meaning. It's what's giving me happiness. And as I started to understand these things, I would walk around with my, my puppy and everybody around me would say, you know, you look just like your, your, your puppy. You look, you're very similar looking. And first I thought uh, this is, you know, silly. I, I don't look like an animal. I'm a human being. And then I started to basically process it. But enough people said it to me this cosmic coincidence that must have been fateful. Uh, there's no other way to explain it. I embraced it. And we dressed up one day alike and walked around uh, Brooklyn where we live. And there were crowds forming around us everywhere we went. It wasn't just kids. It was kids and it was adults. It was their parents. And everybody was elated. Everybody was really happy. Everybody snapped all these photos and it just put the biggest smiles on your faces. And that's when we realized. Let me hold off on that. 
because I want to back up just real quick because this is something sure. I I read a lot about you and I couldn't really find out about this portion of the story. Sure. The adoption process. Did, did you adopt them from a shelter or the SPCA? Did you adopt them from a private owner? And did you feel an immediate connection with him, with Rosenberg, as soon as you saw him? What Kind of give me that background. Sure, sure. So Rosenberg was originally from a very, very selective breeder, and then he went to another family, and they didn't want him for whatever reason. So I guess it was a combination of a private owner that I adopted from that was from a breeder beforehand, and... It's crazy to think so. There was a, he had a, a small health issue that um, I guess for some reason they didn't want him for that reason. So and that's hard to understand because he's such an amazing creature. But when he first came into my life, I did feel an instant connection to him. And I grew up with animals. So while I haven't had an animal in, in many years, as a child, I grew up in a, in a very small apartment and I had three cats and I had a bird. So in a very small New York City apartment, I had all these animals that were my Was your connection the same? Yeah, so they, they that connection was the same. You've always had an affinity for animals. Absolutely. It had just been a while since I, you know, was so close to an animal. So there was a very instant connection to this beautiful creature that just was so vulnerable to the first second I saw him. So it, it instantly felt like this fateful connection that I had with him. I mean, that was just completely instantaneous. Wow. All right. So let's go back to where you were. You go out for the first time. You're getting a positive reaction. Um, does it seem like a one-off or are you like, wow, I am really doing something here. I am really making well, a positive impact. I had understood at that point, the feelings were more and more exponentially kind of growing in my brain that caring for him was connecting me to his needs and the needs of everyone around me. Anyone that you know needed to have positivity and then it was starting to connect to me that I wanted to help the needs of humanity in any which way that I humbly could from my, my little perspective. So those things were brewing. And then I saw everybody crowding around and being so happy and elated. So those things fused together to me. And I knew that I needed to have a much larger forum to spread this happiness. And that's when I said to myself, I mean, what are the things in this day and age that do that? It's, it's social media and yes. then we were visually meaningful happy, so we had to fuse the two. So Instagram was the best medium in order for us to do that. And that's when, you know, I've always had, you know, hobbyists of certain art projects, but I myself am not a photographer, and, and that's when I sought out to find uh, somebody who was a master photographer with animals and conceptual ideas. And that's when I found from the Internet, from Instagram, uh, the dog styler, whose name is Chantal Adair, and she was my photographer from the beginning that has shot every single And I got to say, this done. wouldn't have worked without her. This would not have been the same thing if you just hired some kid with his iPhone. Her work is magnificent. I mean, it is perfect, really. Oh, she, no one can do what she does, and she has a story herself. And she was quite young. She lost her father and her mother was raising two girls on their own and, and got a, a puppy. And so she, from a very early age, had a very strong connection to, to poodles. And, you know, then she, over her time, she was a fashion model and then she was behind the camera and she's amazing with aesthetics. She's amazing with costumes. She knows how to sew. She knows how to fabricate. 
she's a genius. No one can do what she does. I agree. Uh, I'm enthralled with her in, in, in many ways. I don't know if you guys saw, but we just, we just got, we just got married. So it, it came from, I actually brought that up earlier in the show today. I said, this is the best week to do our summer of fun launch. Cause we were out in new Orleans last week for my birthday. And oh, I come fun. back and I go on Facebook and there is an anniversary, a couple birthdays. And this is among our guests or a birthday among our guests, an engagement. Rachel got engaged Christina had a anniversary and you had a marriage. And I was like, this is a good sign. This is a good sign going into the summer of fun because there is just so much love and positivity among the guests coming on today. It was really Aww. serendipitous. This all really fell into place. So, yeah, I have been watching what's been going on on your page. And I did want to say congratulations. You kind of beat me to the punch. I had a big buildup. But <laughs> congratulations you so to you and Chantel. Thank you so much. So she's the real talent behind this whole process. I'm just the very, very average or below average man who has a very extremely handsome animal companion and a beautiful and talented wife who, who is the glue and the cement and the creativity behind everything. And I'm so blessed to have these two uh, beautiful um, creatures in my life. So let me go back a little bit now and I'll tell yeah, you. Please. So we started to get a lot of attention on the internet from our Instagram account. And it went from, you know, just some photos and videos to us doing interviews to some of the biggest talk shows in England and Australia. Uh, and is this and over headlines. about a year of time or did it take off much faster than that? It was faster. I'd probably say it was about maybe six, six, six months maximum. Amazing. So it went into overdrive very fast. And as it continued, the messages that we started to want to develop also kind of kicked in and made more sense to us very fast and we started to develop those concepts and ideas. And this is only the beginning. So what we are doing amongst, I gave you the earlier, which was kind of like the general mission that we have, getting more specific with that. I want to talk about the benefits of animal companionship. And these are things that possibly, you know, a lot of us already know, but maybe haven't articulated or maybe haven't heard laid out in the way that we do it, which I think is very helpful. So what they do for us is amongst other things, our companions that are animals, they don't have our big friends. They don't have the understanding that we only have so much time on earth because we're mortal. They just live in the moment. They're just living in the present. So they help us live in the present, which is, you know, as animals with brains, we're always thinking about all these things and anxieties and what's going to happen and we're nervous. They're just right in the present and they help us live in a Zen place. They're metaphorically still in the garden. Does it work both mm-hmm. ways, though? If you're having a stressful day, does that rub off on Rosenberg? Can he sense that? Or does that change his mood? Not, I mean, they can feed off you and know, but they generally bring, he brings me back. I think animals do a great job in bringing us back to that place, which is one of the reasons I think we're so compelled to be around them. They're not on their phones. They're not on the computers. They're right there. They're in the moment that we need to be in, which is one of the many reasons that they help us live. They help us live longer. They help us reduce our anxiety. They help us with our general happiness. But they also bring out our humanity in ways that I don't think anything else in the world does 
these beautiful creatures, they don't judge you or anybody based on how much money you make, based on what your color of your skin is, based on who you voted for, based on what your religion is, based on any of these superficial things. They just love you the way you love them. And they function on a love meritocracy, which is a term that I've been you know, saying more and more. And it's something we could learn a lot from as humans, especially right now, to live in a love meritocracy. How do you think we do that, though? I mean, do you think if you put out this message and it inspires me to kick up my game as far as putting out positivity and then someone on my page does it, is it exponential? Or is there a point where some of the people who kind of revel in the negative are just going to have to concede somehow? Or it just doesn't work? I think that it's going to be exponential. And, you know, there's always going to be odds. There's always going to be people that aren't seeing this, people that aren't in a great space. But we can't let those overwhelm us. We can't let those make us not act. We have to use them as more fuel to basically spread the positivity to help them. Everybody inside wants to be happy. Everybody does. Our natural state is happiness. So eventually, everybody will come around. You know, I'll quote the Dalai Lama, the purpose of our lives is to be happy. It's yes. inside everybody, no matter what. So this is going to come out, hopefully, inside them. And if we can help trigger that and kickstart it, it's a responsibility that I feel like we have, Rosenberg and I, by finding each other and finding this happiness and being, knowing what it's like to be in rock bottom, it's something, it's our responsibility to do this as much as we possibly can. Now, there's something else I want to say, too. This might sound a little lofty. but No, no, please. I, feel... I, I want to hear. I, I, this is fascinating to me. I, I love talking to interesting people. I love talking to creative people. And I love what I learn. I always say, I want to walk out of a room much smarter than I walked into it. And I feel <laughs> well, like I've learned a lot today. So please, be as I, lofty as okay. you want. Okay, well... I just want to say these are all uh, our humble um, but strong opinions that our animal companions, because they bring out our humanity, they make us be better humans. They have a much larger ability that isn't being tapped into to solve human conflict. And let me look at it this way. Say to somebody that maybe for whatever reason, you know, you might not like right now. Maybe they're mean. Maybe they've done bad things. Maybe... They're bad people. Or maybe it's a world leader that's done a bad thing to another country or you know, much larger global problems. And their animosity. It's also human to feel that way. We're all human. We all have the same template. You know, we're not immune to that, nor are animals. But we have to overcome it. But when you think about that person that you might not like, for whatever reason, or a world leader that our world normally doesn't like, think about that person rubbing their beautiful, fluffy, sweet animal. Think about that. Think about both of those world leaders doing the same thing. You see them interacting with an animal, and you see their humanity being kind of illustrated that way. It's so much easier to empathize with somebody who also loves an animal. Yeah, but they also say Hitler was a great dog lover. Listen, you know, that may be true. I'm not saying that it wasn't, but that doesn't mean, you know, it's still not a bridge for other people to understand each other just because one horrible person might have loved an animal. I don't think using it as the argument against it 
makes it not useful. You know, that's kind of like a, not building a house doesn't burn down. But I understand what you're saying. Something else I want to point out, by being one with animals, it reminds us that we are animals. We're animals with brains. And if we're an animal, we need to live in harmony with our earth. One of the problems I think we're having as a species is that we collectively might act as if we're not an animal and we're above nature. And if you're above that is nature, so true. you're not going to treat it very well because you're going to think that you're invincible and you're superior to all the natural elements. So by being with our companions that are animals, it puts us back in understanding that we are animals as well and we need to be better to our earth, which is the only thing that we have collectively. Well, you know, and I'm sitting here and I'm listening to you talk, and I'm listening to your story and how you got where you are, and you are kicking an incredible amount of deep wisdom here, and you're talking about Thank the you. connections with animals. Yeah, definitely. Is this all relatively a new perspective brought on by your connection with Rosenberg? Or Absolutely. did you always think so? You were thinking totally different three, four years ago. You're in a totally different headspace. I was in a very dark place. So maybe it was inside of me, but I hadn't realized these things. The cells hadn't been fine or connecting in this way. And this, in any way, it wasn't brought out. I wasn't conscious of these feelings before this transformation that I've had. Well, I feel like we all want it, though, right? Because even though you have people who have a following who put out some pretty horrible stuff politically, I always hear people say, hey, look, I'm going to go and look at this cat meme. I'm going to go look at this video of this cute goat. Exactly. Like, people are still searching that out. So I feel like you never put up a cat meme and someone's like, oh, I'll, I'll get you. Like, that's not invoking anything negative. So I feel like everybody's hardwired, like you said, and the Dalai Lama, the great, great Dalai Lama said – like, I feel like people are hardwired to search for that. I don't understand why they're denying themselves that. Well, we all have different forces in us that are sometimes more dominant at different times. So I think timing is a thing, and some people may not uncover that until much later. I didn't uncover these, these feelings and understanding until very recently. But to your point about cat memes, that's the, it's an archetype that we have in us as humans. And I do believe in archetypes. Let's get too... Um, Carl Young, you know, Joseph Campbell on, on the audience, but there's things in us that are universal that we all feel, you know, there's concepts, there's good, evil, there's hero, there's villain, um, there's man, there's women. And one of them is an archetype that we all relate to, to animals and to, to cats and dogs and to other animals as well, not just to, to silo it off to, to two species, but our connection to animals is so ingrained in us. If you see a puppy, you automatically smile. It's yes. something that we're all born with. So it's the perfect kind of angle to help use as an understanding to spread at these elements of positivity, of universal understanding, of tolerance. It's, it's the perfect medium to do so because we're like moths with candle. We can't run away from it. Well, let me shift gears here, too, because I know the fans want to know a few things. As far as you and Rosenberg, as far as the process, creatively, and I look at your pictures, and I'm just amazed how you keep coming up with these ideas. I think I like the hip-hop one the best, and they all have like a little <laughs> illustration. 
yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> it makes me smile. And, and these dark times, we need that. And I read the little captions with them and everything, with the Sprint commercial particularly. And I'm somebody who's a Bernie guy. I, I think corporations have too much power. When you right. go to do something with Sprint and, they, and people see the commercial, are you afraid it's going to like cut your legs out from under you where people are like, oh, this is just a gimmick where you won't be able to get the message out first, you won't be able to get ahead of it? Or are you like, hey, I want to get my message out, and if I can use Sprint as a tool to get people turned on to me, to get to my Instagram, then they'll get it. So I don't care if they have a preconception going in. Or do you worry about getting boxed in by things like that? Because commercialism, I feel like, is killing this country. I tell you, I do everything I can not to think about any of these things. I mean, I do innately, but I find it much more productive for me just to follow my instincts than I do to have worries about how I will be perceived in any which respect. Because if you have that freedom, you can basically be more creative in every which way. If you keep thinking about those things, it restricts the ideas you can have. It restricts really your creative process. So to me, consciously, I can't have that in my head. But on a practical level, because obviously I'm human, cut from the same archetype as everybody else, in those regards, we, I'll tell you, we've been approached by a lot of different people, a lot of different corporations, a lot of different companies in many, many possible ways to do endorsements, to do book deals, to do products. We only engage in a situation very selectively when we know we can keep our message, our narrative, and our integrity in those situations. So if we can use, you know, a situation like Sprint and maintain our authenticity and our message, it just helps us get our message across to more people. And on that note, they were a pleasure to deal with. They were a pleasure to collaborate with creatively. You feel like they represented you guys well. Perfectly. There was such talented people involved in that process that, you know, we learned a lot and we feel like it helped us expand our message exponentially and get more attention to basically influence more people in the ways that we want to connect with a mass audience in that way. So for us, it was an an amazing springboard to, like I said, increase our viewership to help. And one of the things that we're doing with that increased viewership that we have now, which are very blessed and blessed and humbled and lucky to have people following us. I just want to make that point before I go on that, the fact that people are paying attention to us and want to talk to us and, you know, you guys contacting us to talk on this podcast. We're so humbled uh, to have this opportunity that people want to speak to us. And uh, we're very, very, very lucky. And it's not something that we take for granted in any which possible way, even for a millisecond. So I want to pause and just thank you for being interested in us and everybody listening that might know us. We want to thank you for having the interest in us. We're, we're just really touched by it and we're very what you give is what you get right like i thank you for acknowledging that but also i'm inspired by you and i couldn't i don't like i have a luxury i have a luxury that and a privilege really that i acknowledge i don't have anybody above me this is my own thing my own ship and i don't reach out to anybody that i am not deeply interested in and deeply inspired by. So I can have conversations with people that you don't hear other places because I don't have anybody saying you have to have this guest next week. 
I'm right. in total control. I see you on the Sprint commercial. I go, wow, they look interesting. They look fun. I look you up online. I read your backstory, and I go, man, this is somebody who I want to talk to. This is somebody's perspective I want to dig into beyond what I can read in a couple articles online or see on Instagram. So I thank you for doing what you do because oh, it inspires me pleasure. to do what I do. And once again, I have this privilege of being able to talk to people that I actually want to talk to. No, but nobody is throwing people at me going, find a way to be interested in them. And I think <laughs> that that's why this works is because I am generally interested in you and Rosenberg's story. It's incredible to me. Oh, thank you so much for that. And I want to say what we're doing with this increased, you know, follow base that we have is we are focusing more and more and more on raising awareness to organizations, on raising money for charities of various kinds. And that's what we're going to continue our focus to be on. No matter what we do, we want to help people. So in the past few weeks, we've spread awareness to an organization for military veterans that um, are amputees that have lost limbs. We've spread awareness to people with alopecia, which is a disease where you don't have any hair follicles. Yeah. A good friend of ours has alopecia, and one of the things she help us understand that is that there doesn't have to be a cure for alopecia. People that have that condition, pardon me, it's a condition, not a disease, is the correct terminology. Beauty doesn't have to be about your hair. Beauty is what's inside. Beauty is, you know, what your morals are. Beauty doesn't have to be how much hair you have for a woman or for a man. So that's something she helped us understand. And we got that message out. We also you know, help raise money and awareness for an organization that fights for the rights of people with Down syndrome. Because we have another good friend who has a Down syndrome child. And we had um, these two beautiful children in our studio. And we did an amazing photo of them. They were gorgeous. So these are the kinds of things that we're going to continue to do more and more and more of as time goes on. This is where our interests are. And by having... Uh, commercial campaign, it enables us to do more of this work. So it was just a pleasurable stepping stone on this ride that we've, we're continuing to have. Yeah, and I'm excited to see where you guys go. Dee is giving me the um, five-minute warning here. I've got a couple really quick questions I want to ask you, sure. just kind of fanboy questions. Um, and sure. just give me some yeah. just quick answers on these. Rosenberg, yeah. I see a lot of interaction in different pictures with other animals. How does Rosenberg get along with other animals? <laughs> really well. He's got a very sweet, introspective disposition. So he gets along with almost everybody. Um, once in a while, he gets a little protective of his pack. And if we ever notice that, that's not an, an, an animal we're going to keep him anywhere close to. So we, we know ah, when to have a boundary. Very nice. Um, are there any ideas you guys have for photo shoots that never make it up to Instagram? Like how much of what you're actually shooting ends up on Instagram? Or is it all ending up on there? I would say 98%. I what prevents something from making the cut? Well, I think if anything, you know, might just be, have a, a possibility to have a controversy. We generally don't do it because sometimes on the internet, you know, one could imagine 
uh, things can get misunderstood, misconstrued. So sometimes we do things just for ourselves and maybe we'll put it in kind of more of a strict art book one day. Um, if we, uh, if we feel inclined, but we do some things just for, just for our own entertainment that I feel like right now we're keeping quiet. Um, okay. Fair enough. Moving on to the next thing. I had read something about them creating a UN ambassadorship position for you, but I couldn't find anything else on it as that kind of drifted off or is that something that's still in the works? Well, we have people that are in talks with us right now to take a role more like that involving the United Nations. And, one of the things about that is we, we love the idea of it. But the problem is Rosenberg's ears are quite sensitive. So he can travel on a flight, but a long flight to him, he, his ears and noises kind of upset him and he gets anxious. So we're quite hesitant to put him on long flights. We might, you know, curtail that to something that has to do with interspecies parenting, which is something that we're becoming more and more spokespersons of in terms of your animal companion can be treated as your child and thought of your child, and people shouldn't have any stigmas of saying it's your son, your daughter, your sister, your brother. So that's something that we're going to continue to explore, but we just can't put him on long flights because he's unhappy. And we well, I know. Me and, me and Dee have our dog, Squirrel, and I've never had such a connection with an animal. I mean, he really feels like part of the family, right, Dee? Oh, yes. He's my child. We do not, like, we go on a road trip. If we go on vacation, if there's not someone home with him or he can't go with us, I'm not going. I'm not doing it because I'm not going to kennel him. I'm not going to leave him with strangers. He just, and of course, I'd never leave him alone. I I can't do it. You know, so, yeah, he's very much, he's very much a child. Like, he's like a toddler. He's he's a perpetual toddler, <laughs> but he's a chihuahua, so he's going to be a perpetual toddler forever, and I just love it. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, like I said, this is fairly recent. We got him about two years ago, mm-hmm. and I'd always had dogs growing up, but this is the first time I felt like an animal was a part of the family, and he really Aww. is a part of our family, yeah. and it's really an incredible um, thing. And he sleeps and, in and our bed don't every night. don't understand that, <laughs> I, I think it's something that people need to understand more that it is okay to say that and to feel that way, not to feel embarrassed or ashamed of it. So we'd love to work with the UN. We really would. We just, like I said, um, I need the kids care of his happiness is my number one priority. And, and in doing so, we have to stay local. All right. And let me finish up with this one. With all the fame, with all of you, all the intention you guys are getting, how much of it do you think Rosenberg's aware of? Like, does, do you think animals understand, like, hey, I'm not just a typical dog. Like, I have a lot of people, like, paying attention to me. Or is every day just every day? Like he said, he lives in the moment, and he doesn't differentiate between him and the average life of a dog. I think that more and more, he's understanding. First, he understood that he's taking photos, and he loves having his photos taken he loves the attention. He loves putting on clothes. So I think that was the first thing he started to understand. He started to love it because, look, you know, like most entities, attention is uh, something that they desire. And I think now he's starting to understand a little more just attention in general because he does get stopped in the street at times. And at first, we were a little worried about how he would interact with strangers. And he's starting to definitely embrace that. And he's become a lot more of an extrovert with meeting new people. So I think just that element of people coming up to him and wanting to pet him uh, has increased his understanding that, you know, he's more of a social animal. 
And it's all happened really slowly and in a way because we made sure it didn't happen at once, which is unhealthy. But he's now embraced that, and I think he's, he's very comfortable with it. But he's still very our humble, sweet, shy boy, no, no matter what happens with him. Yeah, and it's amazing, Timmy, because last summer we went to Virginia Beach, which was where I'm from for six weeks. My business partner, co-host, and one of my best friends, Fern, lives there, who couldn't be there today. She's having issues, family issues. She had to go up to Maine for the summer, but and she really wanted to be here. And by the way, my friend, Lori Ebach, I almost forgot. She said to tell you she is absolutely your biggest fan. So I wanted oh, to give you a shout-out from Lori. Thank yeah. Thank you, Lori. So, We're humbled. Nice. So um, we were down there in Virginia Beach and we're on the boardwalk and we live right now in the Knoxville area and we're very isolated. We live up in the mountains. So our dog doesn't get a lot of activity. But for six weeks, we're in Virginia Beach walking on a boardwalk, taking them like around people all the time. And I wonder, I was like, D, now that he's back here, do you think he notices a different in that environment? Like, do you think he thinks about, oh, man, I miss those days in Virginia Beach? Like, I, I am fascinated about how much a dog understands things in a way, or any animal, in a way we understand things. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. We'll never really, really know. We can just kind of understand as much as we can by seeing their, you know, reactions and reactions and respecting, you know, what makes them happy. Those little tiny things, those little tiny eye movements and body language, we just have to read those receptors and adapt to them to make sure that they're in their comfort zones. Yeah, and that's what we're trying to do, and it, it's a brave new world, Topher, I have to say, and I have all the respect for what you guys do. We're at the 3 o'clock marks. So I've got to let you go. Um, yeah. On your way out the door, let me thank you for calling in today. I couldn't think of no better way to kick off our summer of fun. Aww. Please let everybody know anything big you got coming up you can talk about and where we can find you online if people don't already know. Absolutely. So you could find us at at T-O-P-H-E-R-B-R-O-P-H-Y on Instagram. And then we have a Facebook fan page as well. And it's a Topher Brophy official on Facebook. And then Rosenberg is R-O-S-E-N-B-E-R-G, the dog on Instagram. And our photographer is Chantal Adair. Her handle is the dog styler on Instagram. So what we have coming up, we are going to be on some segments of some television shows. I think legally I have to keep them secret for some reason, until they air, um, which is silly. And we're also developing our own kind of content series that's going to be homemade, just us interviewing people that we think are interesting and who are promoting philanthropy organizations that we think need more attention and exposure. And aside from that, we take it day by day, but we're just going to continue to have fun and, and spread our message. So thank you, everyone, for listening and for being interested and um, just for being fellow homo sapiens and animal companions. Yes. And once again, congratulations on your marriage. Um, it kind of came after out of left field. I didn't even know you guys were dating. And then one day I go online and I see the pictures, beautiful pictures <laughs> of you guys' wedding. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Appreciate it. All righty, Topher, you guys, you and Rosenberg, if Rosenberg, if you can hear me, um, thank both of you guys for coming on the show today. You guys have an excellent summer and we'll be in touch. Okay, thank you. Thank you again. Bye-bye. Thank you. D, um, I guess we're waiting on Bonnie. I'll send a message out to her. But till then, you want to play some outro music and we'll take a little five? Absolutely.